This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Ah, yes. The magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus Brightolus. The worm's captivating neon color makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy... Staggeringly snackable species, unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Hi, and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the Olive team. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be your host for this episode. This week we have a special extended chat with MasterChef champion, author, chef and Japanese food expert Tim Anderson. Tim believes cooking Japanese food is a lot easier than people think and he's written a book to prove it. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay, so we're really lucky. Today we've got um, Tim Anderson on the podcast. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you might know Tim as the winner of MasterChef. What year was that that you won? 2011. Yeah, it was a great year. <laughs> it was the first year that we were on, they were on BBC One. Yeah. So they pulled out all the stops, Yeah. which was lucky for me. Um, and since then, Tim's gone on to uh, become the chef owner of Namban in, Br- in Brixton. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Japanese soul food restaurant. Yep. Yeah. Um, what's the soul food element? Well, we started off doing uh, pretty traditional southern Japanese food. I lived in the oh, south okay. of Japan. Right, right. Um, but then once we opened in Brixton, we decided to incorporate um, some of the ingredients from Brixton Market. Oh, brilliant. So we started doing stuff with West African and Afro-Caribbean yeah. um, dishes and, and flavors and Mediterranean and uh, Persian and Indian. There's all kinds of interesting um, food and ingredients you can find in the market. So yeah. that's that's also a, the soul food element now. I like that. Yeah. Um, and we're here today because Tim's got a brilliant new book out called Japanese, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, and we've, we've got it featured in Olive Magazine this month in the October issue. But first of all, um, what is what fascinated a young boy from Wisconsin about Japanese food? How did you fall in love with it? <laughs> well, I was... Um, I was kind of interested in Japanese pop culture generally, like video games and anime and 
bit of J-pop and stuff like that. Uh, and then when I was about 14, I think, 13 or 14, there was a show that came on TV called Iron Chef. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's still going now, isn't it? I think so. Um, not the Japanese one, but there, there was an American version yeah. and a few spinoffs of that. It's a cooking competition show. Oh, so the original one was Japanese? The original was Japanese. I don't uh, really... You, you wouldn't find this show on TV now. Like, right. TV was different back then. Yeah. Because it was really weird, and they... <laughs> All they did was dub it over, uh, over the Japanese, kind of like a kung fu movie. Um, <laughs> but it was it was really mind-blowing. Like, I already was into food as well. Like, uh, I watched, like, cooking shows like Emeril Lagasse and Mario Batali yeah. back then. Um, but I'd not seen cooking like that. And I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. So I, I got really hooked on this show. And then I tried to, you know, start eating out at Japanese restaurants in Milwaukee and stuff. Wow. Um, which there aren't very many of. <laughs> I was going to say that was yeah. been quite um, But then stretch. I moved to LA. I went to college there um, and I wound up studying Japanese history um, and Japanese food history in particular. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to live in Japan for two years. So it's been an ongoing thing since I was quite young. So whereabouts in Japan did you live? I lived in a city called Kitakyushu, which right. is in Fukuoka Prefecture, which is in Kyushu, which is the southern, uh, southwestern island. Okay. Um, it's kind of like, uh, a lot of it's very rural. There's a lot of mountains and, and um, farms there, but I lived in a really big city. I mean, it's not even that big by Japanese standards. It was one million people. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's it's not one of the biggest cities yeah, right. in Japan. Um, but it was really great. The food there was amazing. The yeah. food in Kyushu is... I think a lot of people um, don't realize that there's a lot of regional variation. Regional variations. Yeah, things, it's yeah. like Italy or Spain or France. Yeah. It's like you go from place to place and they, everybody has their own specialty. And I really wanted to live in Kyushu, actually. Because they're famous for ramen, which is my favorite food. Oh, really? So that's yeah. their, that's her thing. Yeah. yeah, tonkotsu ramen, the really rich pork broth yeah, ramen. Yeah, yeah. The... Um, that sort of started there. In there's debate over where it really is from. But some, <laughs> some people say Nagasaki. No, some people say Fukuoka. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But it was really cool to go there. I, I kind of you get three choices on the pro, the English teaching program I was yeah. on <clears throat> of where you want to live. I chose all of them based on ramen. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. You were just basically hunting down the ramen. Yeah. You were like, I'm I mean, gonna... I'm really glad I got Kitakyushu yeah. because the other choices was Sapporo, which is lovely as well, but yeah. it's in the north and it's really cold. Okay. Uh, like, it's just incredibly cold there. <laughs> and the other one was uh, Yokohama, which is very, maybe too big. It's a yeah. huge, huge, sprawling city. So so, so you won, basically. Yeah, I, I lucked out. Kyushu um, is lovely. And obviously, once I got there, I started eating a lot of ramen, but there's all kinds of other... <laughs> interesting really delicious food so yeah. and ramen's um, got so many elements too hasn't it so it's not just kind of yeah you know like you, you learn a lot of different cooking techniques depending on what your toppings are that's and true yeah i mean at it's most basic it's just noodles and broth mm. um you know and all you need is a bit of spring onion or an egg to garnish it but even the the noodles and the broths the broths themselves mm. are are uh they take a long time to sort of figure out and and yeah. master and get right yeah. Uh, especially how you season them is so important. Um, but then, yeah, the toppings, you know, if you do chashu pork belly, uh, make your own pickles, yeah. um, you know, your marinated eggs. <clears throat> it's a, there is a lot going on. I mean, our, our sort of most basic ramen at the restaurant at Nanban has, I think, 10, let me, let me think. There's the tare seasoning, yeah. there's the broth, there's the noodles, there's the pork belly, there's the egg, there's pickles, spring onions, Burnt garlic oil and garlic chips. So that's nine elements, elements yeah, to make it in one bowl. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, 
And like I say, that's our most basic one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's an entry level ramen. Yeah, yeah. But you kind of the great thing about ramen is that every bite is a little bit different, and mm. um, you get a lot of different flavor and texture in one thing. It's kind yeah. of like a it's kind of like a burger. I think it, there's a lot of you think of it as junk food as being very fatty and rich and salty, but it's actually got a lot of it's got balance a lot of, and yeah, it's yeah. a lot of contrast. It's yeah. got soft, you know, noodles or, or bouncy noodles and a bit of crunch and something soft and yeah. yeah. Like a good burger has a contrast as well. It's got crunchy lettuce and yeah. vegetables and it's got melty cheese and yeah. soft breads. <laughs> For me there uh they had there's a kinship there. <laughs> yeah. So your time in Japan like really I mean, you really pushed your kind of food obsession quite heavily. Yeah, uh, it was also, I mean, when I was in college, I mainly ate in the dining halls. So it was also my first time living on my own and cooking for myself. Yeah. I, I cooked a bit at home, um, but it was just a kind of sporadic hobby. And then suddenly you could get all these ingredients that presumably weren't as available to you back home. Yeah, and half the time I didn't even know what they were. Yeah, I mean, going <laughs> like, even though I could read uh, most Japanese at the mm. supermarket, um, and I could speak it okay. There was still loads of stuff I just I couldn't even identify. Yeah. Um, so I tried on every visit to the supermarket to get one thing that I just didn't know what it was, and just and take it home and decipher the package in. Look it up on the internet. And I think even if you go to say like Japan Center now, though, you find a lot of the packaging. They'll be it'll be relabeled, you know, in Western, but it'll say yeah. the same thing for for five things that look completely different. So it's, it's frustrating <laughs> to me. I can read labels, yeah. and sometimes they cover up the most important, yeah, 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 useful yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you buy sake in this yeah. country um, or anywhere uh, that I've lived. Um, that's not Japan. They cover up because Japanese sake labels have some really useful information, like mm. how dry it is and how acidic and stuff mm. like that. And they tend to just cover that up completely. <laughs> so yeah. you don't really know what you're buying. I think it's because people don't realize as well. I I went to, um, I was lucky enough to go to Tokyo and we went to uh, a place where they had about 300 different types of sake. Wow. But it's so, again, it's such a regional specialist yeah. thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really I mean, is. And really subtle as well. It is. Yeah. Like um, people think of it as very strong and uh, rough stuff, I think, but yeah. uh, I think it's because they, they serve it in what looks like shot glasses. People yeah. think you're supposed you're to kind of like down it. Yeah. it. Yeah, but some of it's lovely and and really refined, and mm. you know, it's great with food too. Yeah. And did you come straight from Japan to the UK? Yeah. So I met uh, my wife, yeah. who's English, um, in Japan, and moved here to be with her. Yeah. Yeah. And then when did you decide to um, enter MasterChef? Uh, so I moved here in 2008, yeah. um, and for a while I had a lot of odd jobs, uh, mainly in the beer business. <laughs> I was a beer salesman, and I, I love beer, but I didn't really enjoy anything I was doing. I really wanted to cook. Yeah, um, That's kind of all I could think about. <laughs> uh, so I, I went on MasterChef. I applied for MasterChef just because I, I was a fan of the show. That would have been in 2010. Um, I was a fan of the show, and I thought... It looked fun. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think you blew their minds a bit with your um, combinations. Well, and, yeah. yeah, that was uh, deliberate, really. Yeah, that was really great because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I could win. I didn't yeah. think I was the best cook. Um, so I just tried to keep it interesting. Yeah. Um, but then in at in the end, it was just anybody's game. I think. Yeah. So, and I just just barely. 
uh, clinched it because Tom and Sarah, the other finalists, they were fantastic. And Jackie Kearney, who um, oh yeah, she she's got great. a really great book out now, yeah. the Vegan Street Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. It's, it's really lovely. it's it's one of the books that sort of sits on my kitchen counter because yeah. it's really great stuff. Yeah. And did you think? Did you find that Master Chef was kind of a good stepping stone to what you wanted to do next? Which was, a, did you immediately leave and think, right? I just want to open my own place now. This is it. I've got the. Well, I didn't. Because there's no prize in MasterChef. No, you, you don't exactly. Get you anything, don't get anything. Um, like I know in other countries there are cash prizes yeah. and like book deals and stuff. Um, so I didn't know. I didn't really think anything would happen because uh, it's kind of up in the air. Mm. Uh, but then weird opportunities started coming up, and I decided for the first couple of years just to sort of go with the odd, weird opportunities. Do that the came weird up. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I got really into. Uh, collaboration brewing with a lot of different oh, breweries because cool. uh, people knew me from the, yeah, from the beer, beer industry world, already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So I did a lot of that, which is really fun and traveled around the country <clears throat> doing beer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked for, yeah, some interesting clients, uh, Google and um, Oral-B. I did a campaign oh, really? for uh, one of their tooth uh, pastes, <laughs> uh, developing menus that were bad for your teeth, okay. which was really fun. So that, like the first couple of years was all just sort of odd, um, odd jobs like that, really interesting stuff. But then I decided to get serious about opening the restaurant, started doing pop-ups for that yeah. um, and looking for backers. And around the same time, um, I started pitching Nanban, the cookbook. So yeah, yeah that all kind of happened at once. The cookbook first and then a year or two later, the restaurant. Yeah. So uh, yeah, then that, that's been my life since yeah. the restaurant so we started doing the pop-ups regularly. That would have been about three years ago. Yeah. And the restaurant opened two years ago. And num- <clears throat> Numb on the book was just kind of a reflection of the sort of food that you were cooking well, in the yeah. restaurant at the time. It, well, it was meant to tie in with the opening of the restaurant, but okay. the plans fell through and <laughs> uh, got delayed. So the the book came out independent of the restaurant. Uh, but it's fine. It, it stands alone. Yeah. Um, and actually the stuff that we want, the food that we ended up cooking at the restaurant is not like what's in the book anyway. Because oh, okay. anyway. the book is mainly are all, I think, almost all traditional Kyushu yeah. cooking. Okay. Um, I wanted to do a sort of what, like, Russell Norman did for Venetian food yeah. and put Kyushu food on the map, so... Just do it properly. Give yeah. it some respect. And, and show yeah. people that there's, like... There's a lot of basic Japanese recipes in that book, too, like tempura's yeah. in there. Um, but there's a lot of other interesting, sort of more obscure <laughs> stuff <laughs> that I wanted people to see yeah. and try. So let's talk about the new book because mm. um, I love it, um, and we cooked a, we cooked a lot of it in the um, in the test kitchen when yep. we were testing the recipes that we extracted, and I think it's got a really lovely principle, which is um, Japanese food. Like you talk about various things like gyoza and tempura, and you you just say it, it's all easy. You can it do is. it. You know the it really the, is. the recognizable <laughs> Japanese food that you that you see and you eat when you go out for a for you know a regular like. Japanese meal yeah. is, is really easy to cook at home. Yeah, um, and you fo- and, and actually you followed through in the book. It's, it is um, when you read the recipes, they're, and they're fun. I, I love the introductions. You've got like quite long, um, ram- not rambling, but quite long sort of introductions <laughs> where you say, "This is how I came to end up doing this recipe." And, yeah, and you know it's. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think um, there's a lot of stumbling blocks people have. Uh, or excuses, really, yeah. Um, yeah, for not cooking Japanese food at home, um, and it's, it's all it's all in people's heads. Yeah, so people think, first of all, they can't get the ingredients. Yeah, which is just not true because uh, in the book I say you hardly need any special. Yeah, ingredients. you say you say you you can start with seven, right? I start with seven: soy sauce, sake, 
mirin, rice vinegar, dashi, um, miso, and rice. Yeah. Uh, almost all of those, except for the dashi, annoyingly, you can yeah. get at big supermarkets now. Um, everything else is going to be at a, any East Asian supermarket yeah. or online. Like, I am a big fan of online shopping. And there's so many now. There's loads. There's so many Japanese like, uh, it's, stockists. It's very, and, and it doesn't even have to be Japanese. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to name no, names. Yeah. But <laughs> choose a, ch- choose an online supermarket. They'll have everything. <laughs> They'll have even the, the dashi. Yeah. Um, so there's, that's not an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've deliberately avoided recipes that include um, that that require more obscure stuff. Like yeah. there's a, there's a second list of ingredients that I say you might want to get these, mm. but they're sort of a bonus, and you won't really need them um, yeah. to cook the vast majority yeah. of dishes in this book. Because um, there's nothing worse than getting a curveball of thinking this looks all right, and then suddenly there's this ingredient that you've never heard of, and yeah. you have to go and you know, like one that I, but I don't substitute either. Yeah. Like some people, a lot of a lot of books, um, they'll say, well, if you can't get sake, use white wine. Yeah, or, which is like okay, I mean, but you can get sake. N- that's yeah. the thing. Like, <laughs> Come on, like it's, they've got it, it in Tesco now. They do. <laughs> they they do. really do. I think they even have more than one brand. So. Yeah. So there's that. Also, I think that people think because Japanese food is so often presented so nicely and yeah. it's very pretty and it's very precise um, and there's a sort of artistry to it. Yeah. People think that they have to they have to be at the same standard as, as like a professional Like they Japanese have to chef. go off and do that 15-year sushi right, cutting right. Uh, course. Learn, you know, yeah. take four years just to learn how to cook the rice. Yeah. Um, which you do if you want to be a, <laughs> open a restaurant in Japan. Yeah. But if you just want to cook tasty Japanese food at home... Yeah. Like this book is really inspired by um, the Japanese home cooks yeah. that I know, including my mother-in-law, um, who is like she cooks great food, but it's not she's she's not arranging it on lovely wooden boards <laughs> or everything. Um, and the people I knew in Japan who uh, can cook all this stuff, you know, gyoza, sushi, whatever, but yeah. they, it's not fussy. Like it's just it, it's quite it's comfort food, really, mm. and that's what a lot of these recipes are. The other thing I think that people um, are a little bit intimidated by with Japanese food is how to actually serve a meal because it's so okay. often um, a, a lot of little things. I think it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, because I think you've got a, you've you've even got a nice little um, a little section where you when you say it's either one big thing like yeah. ramen, you can have one big thing, but, yeah, <laughs> or it's. Or you could have big, like a, one big thing to share and then a few little things. And a few little things like pickles yeah. and salad and a bit of rice or something. Or you can have many little things. Many little things. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. It's like... But like a very basic and easy Japanese meal is yeah. uh, like fried rice. Okay. It's a one pot thing. It's yeah. filling. It's satisfying. Everybody loves it. It'll take all kinds of different ingredients too. I really encourage people to like use their leftovers in fried yeah. rice. It's like a Japanese bubble and squeak in a way. <laughs> um, ramen's another one. Udon, you know, yeah. broth and doodles. It's it's just a good solid filling one pot yeah. kind of or one bowl kind of meal, um, but I've also I think that there are Japanese recipes and dishes that you can include alongside almost any other kind of food. Like, yeah, there's a kind of salad um, which is called wafu salad. Oh yeah, wafu, which is has that got the sesame dressing on uh, it? That's the um, simmered vegetables, yeah. the sesame dressing. But yeah. the wafu is the sweet onion, soy, oh, and ginger, yeah. okay. um, which is a really easy salad dressing to make and you can put on anything and it, yeah. it has a Japanese flavor, but it also will work with like anything else you're cooking. So once you've nailed those kind of dressings and condiments, then yeah. you can just bring a little bit of that. Yeah, or like yeah. A, a one thing that people um, 
so a lot of people say is their favorite dish is the sweet miso glazed aubergine. Yeah, that's uh, really dengaku. popular. I think we've got a couple of recipes like that on online too. Yeah. Because I think it's just so easy to make. And also for vegetarians, there's no cheese in it. And there's no right, kind right. of, you know, which is a, a constant annoyance. It's either they get cheese or mushrooms. So that's yeah. something that's so tasty and has got so much texture and it's flavor a very, to it. Yeah, it's, it's a, cause there's a lot of rap, uh, Japanese recipes um, aren't quite Japanese or aren't quite vegetarian rather because they have dashi in them, yeah. which is fish. Um, but this one doesn't even have that. And no. it's so satisfying. Yeah. And it's really easy. Uh, and also it, it kind of just works with anything else you're having. Like, you know, yeah. it'd be great with, you know, barbecue pork or just roast chicken. It's just a, a good side dish to have with anything. It's nice to have those building blocks as well in your kind yeah. of cooking repertoire. So let's go back to talk about, because there's a couple of recipes that we've that we've published in all of this month that I want to talk about. And as you are obsessed with ramen, let's talk about the surprisingly easy one-hour spicy miso ramen. That is the yeah. full, that's the, given it its full title <laughs> because everyone was absolutely knocked out when we made that in, the, good. in the test kitchen. Oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> um, like, talk us through this because it has got quite a nice intro as well where you say how you discovered it. Yeah, well... So ramen is known for taking, not necessarily being difficult, but for taking a long, long, yeah, time, long time. The it's... broth, like the broth that we make at, at Nanban, it takes twelve hours. Yeah, um, that's that's a that's a short boil yeah. for ramen <laughs> as well. Um, and then you know, there's all the other stuff that goes into it. But this is uh, a very easy, very quick. I, I say one hour, but like if you've got all your ingredients ready to go, it's really more like a half hour. Wow, you can use store bought stock. Um, which sounds like sacrilege, but if you buy the the actual stock and not from a stock cube, yeah. it's, it's okay. It's got body. We don't all have a, a stock of um, you know frozen chicken chicken stock, no. pork stock in our If you in do, I mean that's that's even better. If you better. do, then you're the barefoot contessa. But yeah. <laughs> but the way you give the broth more body and and uh, have the whole bowl feel more substantial yeah. is this technique I saw in Sapporo um, at a miso ramen shop. Which I've now I now know is actually pretty common with miso ramen, where they get a very very hot wok, yeah, and they have um, a paste of, of miso and other seasonings and minced pork, and they saute that in a really really hot wok, so it caramelizes and goes really rich and nutty, mm. and that mm. gets mixed in with the broth, and the pork fat gets in there, and wow. the miso gets in there, and it gives the the broth lots of body and flavor. Um, and then you just have to give it toppings. You use shredded leek uh, for texture and color, uh, yeah. boiled egg, of course. Um, there's chili in it as well. It's a spicy miso ramen, bok choy. So the secret is mixing the pork with the flavorings and then frying it really, really hard exactly. to get that almost like caramelized, yeah. sort of dark golden brown. Yeah. And then you're up. So that becomes your base, your kind of ramen base. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's Szechuan pepper in my recipe as well, just because I yeah. think it works really well with the chili. Um, so it's not, well, I, I was about to say it's not traditional, but there aren't really there aren't a lot of really traditional ramen recipes anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very an individualistic thing in yeah. Japan. Um, every shop makes it a little bit different. So yeah, I'm really happy with this recipe because <laughs> it, it's something like that even I thought couldn't be done. I thought yeah. you, you can't make really good ramen. You can make okay ramen in an hour, <laughs> but you can't make really good ramen in an hour. <laughs> You're just breaking all the rules here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, People uh, are going to come after you. <laughs> yeah. I will say also it's it, the noodles are important. Yeah. Um, because you can make a lovely broth and toppings mm. and everything, but you got to cook those noodles properly. Yeah. Keep them al dente. Um, what are the best noodles to use for you? What would you get? If, if you if you did have a Japanese supermarket or you were going to yeah. buy them online or whatever, what would you? Uh, I would say the frozen ones. The frozen ones. There's fresh frozen, right. yeah. um, which are really good. They have a great texture. Uh, if you can't get those, then actually I think the instant ramen yeah. actually have a really good texture. 
The dried ones tend to go too soft. In yeah, the, the broth. instant ones kind of manage to stay slippery and yeah. kind of slurpable without exactly. overcooking. And I don't you, know what they If you undercook them, them slightly, yeah. then they'll, they're perfect as they yeah, sit in the broth. Yeah, then they can sit in the broth and yeah. soak a bit more of it up. Um, also, then if you have that seasoning packet left over mm. uh, from the instant ramen, you can put that on popcorn or oven yeah. chips and it's amazing. It's got so much MSG or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. else in it. MSG and salt yeah. and all that good yeah. stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, and we were, um, let's also talk about the um, the Japanese carbonara because again, oh, that's yeah. quite an, that's quite an interesting story. Um, yeah, well, how, did, how did you come to that? There's a lot of Japanese pasta in Japan, uh, which is almost always spaghetti. Yeah, uh, I think because it kind of resembles. Uh, a, a ramen noodle. Okay, noodle. so they're hooking into the whole. This is practically noodle anyway. So yeah, it, it's sort it. of it's a it's a it's a good uh, analog, I guess, uh, yeah. to noodles from another culture. But the it, like, there are Italian restaurants or so-called Italian restaurants in Japan that have loads of Japanese type flavors in their yeah. in their toppings and their sauces. So one is uh, mentaiko, which is a cod roe cured with sake and, and chili. Wow, that's probably the most popular one i would guess in japan and they would um, serve that in what they would call an italian style restaurant yeah okay but also people cook it at home like you could yeah. buy the sauces and packets yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. And, and people make it so at it's home. a real mashup of yeah and yeah. and there's so many different kinds it, it's kind of one of these things that you can make it however you like because there's no no there aren't any japanese pasta purists no i don't, I don't think <laughs> um, just don't tell italy <laughs> yeah yeah they might like some of it because some of it is um like a bit like botarga like yeah. the the fish eggs the fish egg products that they use in japan yeah. are a bit like that so there's it kind of makes sense but like the recipe <laughs> i have in here is uh the sauce is like a carbonara so egg and uh, cheese yeah. and butter but it's also got japanese mushrooms and um miso and you garnish it with nori seaweed mm. uh so it's got this nice carbonara slippery creamy yeah, vibe but the, the flavor is japanese flavor, yeah yeah um oh and then uh <laughs> one of the optional ingredients is uh salmon roe which yeah. is very japanese and it looks cool and it tastes great it looks really good on top <laughs> yeah yeah really good um so yeah but there's uh i like this is like this because you can play around with them yeah um there's not like i said any rules yeah uh, so, you know, even just butter and soy sauce mm. together with a few mushrooms, um, makes a great pasta sauce. Cause we were just saying the Japanese are quite into sort of bringing in Western flavors on yeah. and kind of messing about with it. I think in one of your, um, recipes, you talk about how tonkatsu sauce is very similar in, um, yeah, to HP sauce and it's, it's basically it's, brown sauce. Yeah, it's yeah. basically brown sauce. Um, which somebody in a cooking class pointed out to me after <laughs> we made that recipe and they tasted it and they said, oh, it's brown sauce. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I guess it is. Um, but yeah, there's a whole school of Japanese food called yoshoku, which yeah. means Western food, um, which is uh, Western food sort of uh, filtered through many decades or centuries yeah. of Japanese uh, interpretation. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't resemble anything no. like what we have <laughs> in the actual West. Um one of them that's in here is uh, called Doria. It's a rice gratin. Okay. So it's a it's a cheese sauce with shellfish. Um, I put miso in my recipe just to make it a bit more Japanese. But really, the only thing that makes it Japanese is the rice. <laughs> um, other than that, it's a completely Western dish. It was invented by I think a Swiss chef in Japan, and then they just adopted and they just it. adopted it. Yeah. yeah, and now it's you won't find it anywhere else. So there's stuff like that. Um, there's tonkatsu itself, which started off mm. as schnitzel. Yeah. Um, but obviously the sauce, the, the tonkatsu sauce that you put with it and, um, the kind of breadcrumbs you use 
are what make it Japanese, yeah, what make that, it different. That's actually one of the recipes that appears in the magazine, the pork cutlet, where you've, oh, yeah. you've basically said tonkatsu's great, but it, it's too thin, it it's doesn't thin. work. <laughs> I, every time I eat a schnitzel, yeah. like if you go to Austria, Germany or, yeah. or something, or, or an Austrian restaurant, it's disappointing because you think <laughs> it's breaded and deep fried pork. Like, how could it be bad in any way? But it's usually dry it and dries kind of bland. It dries because it's been bashed to hell, hasn't it's it? It's too and thin. Then it's like yeah. like you, you need, I think, a thick chop yeah. uh, so that it gets good color and crunch on the outside, mm-hmm. but stays juicy in the middle. So in your recipe, what you've done is you've left the chop on the bone. Leave the chop on the bone, yeah. And then um, panne, bread, bread and breadcrumb it, egg yeah. it, and then Season deep it fry well, it. And yeah. then panne. And then fry it. And yeah. you either you have to have a... It's a little bit trickier. That's yeah. actually... Of all the recipes in the yeah. book, that one might be the most difficult, but it is still just a pork yeah, chop. I think it's all right. I think people can manage it. <laughs> yeah. You'll either need a meat thermometer or yeah. just to kind of cut into it along the bone to check that it's done. I think a meat thermometer is great, though, because it just gives you that. It, it means you don't overcook stuff. It Everybody just gives you should that have permission. one. That I think is... It's my favorite bit of kitchen kit. Me too. I had to do a, a food tech... Um, event a couple of years ago and they asked me to bring in my favorite piece of kit and I don't really use a lot of gadgets yeah. or anything um, and I wanted to bring in my thermometers actually... <laughs> well your collection of thermometers but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually have a few <laughs> my favorite thing um, but uh, I thought it wasn't high tech enough <laughs> but yeah so useful everybody yeah. should get one they yeah. really should but no that's a great one um, but yeah we I think the book is, when is the publication date? 21st of September. 21st September. It, it's a beautiful book. Um, yeah, the designer and the photographer, uh, Ebio and uh, Laura Edwards. And I think it will, I think it will um, do what it promises, which is give people an entry into that kind of Japanese flavors, Japanese cooking, and, and won't scare them off. Yeah, all. I hope so. Yeah. And thanks for letting us use the recipes in Olive Magazine. Oh, no, the thank you. It looks absolutely beautiful. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks for coming to talk to us today, Tim. Thank lovely. you very much. Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please don't forget to go review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our packed October issue with those Japanese recipes now from news agents or download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with even more food and drink chat.